You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, continuing our study through this letter from the Apostle John to the churches of his day. Coming into the home stretch here, chapter 5, the last chapter. And we'll be looking today at just the first five verses of chapter 5. I've entitled today's message, The Overcoming Life. The Overcoming Life. That is the life that God has promised for us in Christ. I have to be honest, there are times when I don't feel much like an overcomer. There are times when, although I know these things to be true, I have to kind of remind my heart of some of these truths to encourage me. We we tend to get locked into circumstance and overwhelmed and discouraged, and we have to remember that God has promised us something of a victorious and over, overcoming life. And it was Jesus who said in John chapter 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. This is the words of Jesus. He was talking to his disciples about himself being the good shepherd, the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, contrasting himself with the hirelings who are only interested in themselves uh, from the sheep, the, uh, the thief who comes but to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. This abundant life, it is abundant not only in quantity and that it is eternal, but in quality. It is a victorious, overcoming life that Jesus has come to grant us even in this life. We're looking at this this letter from the Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle John, and he's been talking very clearly about what does true Christianity look like? He's talked to us about light. True Christianity is lived in the light, the truth of Scripture and God's Word. He's talked a great deal about love, and we'll continue that even today, and that true Christianity manifests itself in love. And here, this last chapter, there is an emphasis on life. True Christianity is alive. Jesus has come to give life, that we might find the true meaning of life, the true fulfillment in life, life in relationship with our Maker, an abundant life. John will use the word uh, zoe, that's the Greek word for life. He uses it seven times in this chapter alone. Probably the, the highlight of the chapter is in verse 12, where he says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Life is found in Christ. And John is going to begin to speak to us here in this chapter. And as I mentioned, we'll look at the first five verses And I have three things that I'd like to point out to you. But let's look at these first five verses together, and then we'll come back and look at things individually. Picking up in verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begat, excuse me, begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Overcoming life that God has given to those who've come to faith in Christ. Three things I notice about this life. The first thing, this life is, comes to those that are born of God. If you're going to have this life, you've got to be birthed into this new life, this life that comes from God. Jesus would tell uh, Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to speak with him, he would say, you must be born again. And the Pharisee, Nicodemus said, you mean I got to go back into my mother's womb? I don't understand. Jesus said, no, I'm talking, not talking about a, a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. John says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. A new spiritual life has come into the heart of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. You you have a new life living and dwelling on the inside of you. You had the physical life, you have a physical birthday, but there is also a new birth called Christianity that you have come into the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ. He says that you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, this word Christ, it means literally the anointed one. It's a reference to the Jewish Messiah, the promised Messiah of all of Scripture. And when John says to believe that Jesus is the Christ, he's, he's saying you need to believe all the truth, all the biblical truth concerning Jesus As the Christ, the divine Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one who came to die on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, is alive even now, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so you have to believe these truths about Jesus. And the moment you put your faith and trust in those truths, you become born again. You become born of God. Now, John doesn't say that you have to believe that Jesus is a Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the one and only. There is no other name by which God has given for men to be saved. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is an exclusive and narrow embrace of the one and only Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, and all the truth that the scriptures have declared concerning him, that he declared concerning himself. I believe that. And John says, when you believe that, you are born of God. You become born again spiritually. But he says something else about this spiritual birth. You're not just born as an only child. You are born into a family. You are born into the family of God. Everyone who loves him, God, who begot, who gave you this birth into new life, also loves him who is begotten of him. Because I love him who gave me birth into the family, I also love everyone else that he has birthed into the family. And here I thought I was an only child. And here I thought God would just love me. It would just be me and him. Where'd all these brothers and sisters come from? Well, you're born into the family of God, and that's an important understanding. You're not just alone in this. You have brothers and sisters in the family. 
And I would ask you this, what kind of a family would you like to be a part of? Do you want to be in a family where there's a lot of sibling rivalry and a lot of competition and hurt feelings and bitterness and bickering and fighting? Well, that sounds like my family at home. That sounds like what I grew up in. I don't want that all over again. No, he's called us into a family of love. What kind of family would you like to be a part of? Well, I want to be in a family where I'm loved. And, you know, guess what? Everybody else wants to be in in a family where they're loved. And the way I'm loved in the family is when others love me. And the way others are loved is when I love them. This is what God has called us to. This is, you've been born of God into this family where love is the dominant description of, of the family of God, of the people of God. It is the trademark of the family. How can I get into this family? Well, you're in the moment you embrace Christ. He begots you or begets you, if you will. He births you into the family through faith in Christ. But how do we get connected with one another? How do we find a place to be loved and to be loving? Is it going to happen when we just kind of come and hear a good sermon? I hope you hear a good sermon, hear a sermon and scoot out the door and back to your your real life? Or are you going to have to figure out who your brothers and sisters are? Listen, if this is where you fellowship, if this is the church that God has called you to, to be fed and nourished and to become a part of the body of Christ, guess what? This is your family. These are the people that God has called you to journey with in the family of God. And so it's going to take a little intentional effort on our part to kind of get connected, get to, get to know each other. I remember when my wife and I, uh, we started attending a church. We landed at a Calvary chapel many years ago. It was down in the city of La Mirada. I happened to know the pastor, Tony and I, my wife, we'd gone to high school with the pastor and that's the only person I knew. I didn't really know anybody else in the church. And I remember those first few months, you know, we were there at the church and and we kind of stand out in the, in the courtyard after service, you know, and sip a cup of coffee and just kind of be, feel like complete strangers. But then we had our kids who were in the children's ministry. They weren't strangers at all. They were meeting other kids in the smaller setting of a, of a you know, a, a children's ministry class. And man, they were just running around and doing things with, with the other kids. They didn't, we'd have to, you know, kind of force them to get out of there. Oh, no, we don't want to leave yet. You know, they were having a good time. Tony and I, we didn't know, you know, we were just kind of disconnected. And so we realized over time that, you know what, if we're going to get to know anybody, we're going to have to, it's going to have to be more than just kind of this Sunday appearance for us. And I, I'm not trying to guilt anybody or trying to motivate anybody. I'm asking you to think practically about what does God have for you? Do you want abundant life? Do you want overcoming life? Do you find yourself missing out on what seems to be the promise of God for life? It may be that you need to, to take these principles and start walking the, in them and see what God will do. We took a chance. We signed up for a married couple's home fellowship. And man, was that a crazy group that we met. And you know what? We loved it. There was a brand new Christian uh, couple, and they were so rough around the edges. I mean, it was, it was, we had such fun with them. There was other mature uh, believers. We had some unique characters in our little group. How many of you know that in any small group, there are always unique characters? How many of you know some of you are the unique characters? (laughs) 
But you know, you find connection there. You find that this is the family. And we began to get to know people. And then I took another uh, risk. I took my kids with me on a, a one-day missions trip down to Mexico. And I had, I, you know, I'd been in Mexico maybe a few times just on, tra- you know, tourism, but I'd never been there, you know, uh, to, to minister and really roll your sleeves up and go into an orphanage, go into where people are hurting and suffering and minister the gospel. And man, that was, you know, everybody that I went with, we came back as friends and feeling connected also. And relationships started. Then we started to serve. Lord opened a door up for my wife and I to begin to serve in the worship ministry. Became part of the worship team and then a choir. And then before you knew it, we were very much a part of the family. And I think this is what God has called us to is, you know, a family. We love him. Guess what? Because we love him, we love everybody else that he's brought into the family too. And I'm just giving you some thoughts, maybe practically. Maybe there's more for you. Maybe God has something more than what you're tasting in this Christian life. And maybe it will be found in some opportunity to serve, some connection with a smaller group, a fellowship, a Wednesday night, something where you are getting your life opened up to be friends and family with other believers. Let's look at the second thing here that I noticed from our text. Not only are we, is this life born of God, this is a life that becomes obedient to the commandments, obedient to God's commandments. Look at verse 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. John, again, links up true Christianity with real life change. You, you, you say that you love him. Here's how you can know that you love him. Here's how you can know you can love the ch- you're loving the children of God in that you love God and are keeping his commandments. True love of God manifests in obedience to the commandments of God. Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John is saying, here's how it works. As you love Jesus, you obey Jesus. And what Jesus has asked you to do is love one another. You see how love ties it all together. That's the obedience to his commandment. And love produces obedience. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. This is how you know you love him. You obey him. Jesus said this in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 23. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There is this natural connection. True love for God and of God in response to his love for us manifests in obedience. It's not some hard task. It's not some, you know, regretted duty. It's an expression of love. When you love someone, you look to please and bless them. And so it is in the Christian faith as well. And John says something very interesting here. This is a a, a very interesting phrase. He says, and his commandments are not burdensome. God's commandments are not given to us to weigh us down and burden us. Okay, you love me? Here you go. Boom. 
See if you can do that. Prove your love. That's not the way this comes. No, John says, no, his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are given to bless you. His commandments are given to protect you. His commandments are given to bless your walk and relationship with him and with one another. He's trying to bring you into a walk of love, the fruit of love in your life. What are his commandments? Well, he's commanded us to believe on his son. That's not a burdensome commandment. That's how we get saved. He's commanded us to love God. Well, that's where it all begins. He loves me, therefore I love him. And his commandments are that we love one another. Oh, that's the tough one. That's the one. I really wish I was just an only child. All right. That's where we think, well, maybe that is kind of burdensome. But it's not really a burden. I didn't say it was easy, but it's not intended to be a burden. Let me just give you some thoughts here why I don't believe God's commandments are burdensome. First, as I mentioned, God's commandments are given for protection and blessing. When God gives command, it's wise, it's good. God is the author of life. He knows the best path for you and I to live. Proverbs 19.16 says, He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. God's commandments are given to bless. It's the, it's the path of greatest blessing for your life. And it's, it's, that's why their commandments are not burdensome. They're not given to destroy or to steal away. They're given to protect and to bless. Another reason God's commandments are not burdensome is because when you became born of God, he gave you a new heart. Something happened on the inside spiritually. You have new desires. You have new priorities. And those new desires, those new priorities are aligned with the things that God has commanded and asked you to walk in. And so with this new life, this new heart, I actually find myself wanting to obey the Lord. Imagine that. Before I was a Christian, all I wanted to do was rebel against the Lord. But now that I've come to know him in love and relationship, I desire to please the Lord. The psalmist said this, delight yourself in, in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I believe that God actually changes your desires to be in line with him. And then he gives you those desires as you walk with him. Remember what Paul said to the Philippians, Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. His commandments are not a burden because God is already working within me to desire them, to want to do them, to want to walk in love, to want to love my family, to want to be faithful in the workplace, to want to be a good citizen in my community, to want to share the love of Christ with others and be a witness for him. To want my life to change and transform into the image of Christ. I want to be more like Jesus. How about you? And so that's a new heart. That's why it's not burdensome. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity. And finally, the reason his commandments are not burdensome is because we now truly love God. When you truly love God, there is a desire to please God because you love him. And it happens by grace. It happens with his help. It happens with his spirit. 
It's not, walking in his commandments are not always easy. And there are times where I am distracted or tempted and my old man wants to rise up and still sometimes does. But, but God, my heart's desire is to serve you, to love you, to walk in obedience. That's what I desire. Lord, help me. Change me by your spirit. God, I've not yet arrived. I'm not yet perfect. I want to be better, but I need your help. I need your grace. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I haven't arrived, but I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm pressing toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul would say in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can obey. I can walk in the light as Christ strengthens me with his love and with his grace. Thirdly, finally from our text today, this is a life of overcoming faith. Overcoming faith. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Think of some of the words used here by the apostle to describe your Christian life and journey. He says you're going to be an overcomer. He says you're going to have victory. He says you're going to, you're going to walk by faith. Just those words alone give you a little insight as to what the journey is going to be like, right? I mean, if you send somebody out for a very easy task, you don't say, okay, I want you to go down to the market and get a, get a quart of milk, and you're going to be an overcomer. Oh, and you're going to have victory. Oh, and you're going to walk by faith. Look, I'm just going for a quart of milk. What's the big deal? It's easy, right? But when someone says, listen, I've called you to be an overcomer. I've called you to have victory. I've called you to walk by faith. Just the words describing the journey tell you a little bit about what the journey is going to entail. There's going to be situations that you're going to have to overcome, There's going to be battles that you're going to have to find victory. There's going to be circumstances where you're going to have to walk by faith. And this is what God has called us to. This is not an easy life, but it is the overcoming, victorious life of faith. And this is what John is mentioning here to us. You know, Jesus himself, you know this passage. Let me remind you, in John 16, 33... Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have what? Overcome the world. John is saying, we, we have overcome the world because we have put our faith in Jesus, the overcomer. Because he has overcome the world, we too, by faith and relationship with him, we also overcome the world. And that's why Jesus says, be of good cheer. I've pioneered victory for you. Your victory is secure and nothing can thwart it because I am the one who has secured it. I'm the one who has pioneered it for you. Let me just say a few things about practically how I believe we can walk overcoming. Uh, what we have overcome in the world. The first thing that we've overcome through our faith in Jesus in the, uh, that we've overcome in the world is sin. 
The Bible says that we were lost and without hope in the world because of sin. Sin is an enemy. Sin and death, and they're related, by the way, are the two big enemies of all mankind. And if we're going to overcome the world, we have to, there has to be some remedy for sin. Because sin is very destructive. And sin is very controlling. Sin brings a certain bondage. Sin brings a certain despair. Sin brings a guilt, a shame, a condemnation. And if I'm going to be an overcomer, sin is going to have to be addressed in my life. And Jesus, uh, the gospel tells us that we have been delivered from the bondage of sin. We have now been forgiven. We have been reconciled with God. We have been given the righteousness of Christ. We are part of the beloved of God. We are not coming to God any longer as sinners. We are coming to God as saints whose sins are forgiven, who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We're going to celebrate communion here. And it is a celebration of what God has done for us in Christ. But not only the guilt and, and the, the damage of sin, but even the controlling power of sin has been broken. Listen, I've not arrived yet, as I mentioned, to any level of perfection, but I can tell you that I'm not who I used to be. Sins that used to control me, sins that used to manipulate me, those things by the grace of God have changed, and those chains have been set free. Now, I'm not arrived, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm so glad I'm not who I used to be. And that's the grace of God. That's the overcoming work of God in my life, in your life. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't imagine that you'll never be free. You can be free. You are free. And you, by the grace of God, are going to walk from glory to glory, by faith to faith. God is working in process in our lives, and he is overcoming sin. We've also overcome the trial and tribulation of our lives. Isn't that what Jesus said? In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He doesn't say you're going to have tribulation, so you're just going to just get used to living a defeated, discouraged, and depressed life. And someday I'll rescue you and bring you to heaven. That's not what Jesus said. He said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Even today, there's trial. There's trouble, but you can walk in victory. You can overcome those things. What can be done to you when the, the favor of God is upon your life? What can they take from you? Even life itself. God has conquered even death. You know, Paul said something like this to the Romans in Romans 8, 37. He said, in all these things... We are made more than conquerors through him who loved us. Well, we like that verse, don't we? Not just a conqueror, more than a conqueror. How? Through him who loved us. But notice the context. He says, in all these things, we are made more than conquerors. What things? Well, you've got to go back up a couple verses and see what things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, in all these things. Oh, those things. In all those things, even in the midst of trial and difficulty and struggle, because of our faith in Christ who has overcome them all, we are more than conquerors. 
he goes on to say that he was persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Even in trial, even in trouble, even in disappointment, even in discouragement, God is with you to lift you, to encourage you, if you will but set your eyes on him. Paul in prison writing, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sounds like an overcomer. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. That's going to have to be something that's deeper than circumstance, deeper than how my day went. It's going to have to be anchored in my faith in who has saved me and that life abundant rising up in me. He, we have also, as I mentioned, overcome death. The final and worst enemy of all is death itself. And even that cannot defeat the Christian. Even in death, we are made victorious because of Jesus Christ. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Overcoming faith, overcoming sin, and its consequence, and its impact, its control. Overcoming the trial and tribulation of life itself, and even overcoming death and the grave. We are overcomers in Christ, through our faith in Jesus. We're going to partake of communion. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. I'm going to ask the musicians to come that are going to play and minister to us during communion. Come on up, you guys, and just stand up front with me. Just some closing thoughts here, and we'll pray and partake of communion. Maybe you're here today and you're not feeling much like an overcomer. <laughs> you know, I can relate to that. As I was preparing these notes and studying this week, my own heart was challenged because, you know, I've been discouraged of late. And I have no specific thing to point to. I think just kind of life and ministry and family, the same things that discourage all of us, right? I have those same issues in my life as you do. And I found myself just kind of getting a little overwhelmed, a little disappointed, a little discouraged, a little confused. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? And boy, I just, Lord, and then I come to this passage, we're overcomers. Oh, Lord, no, I'm not. <laughs> and the truth of this passage is independent of how you and I feel. And I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and I've had my ups and downs in faith, and I've, had, I've faced discouragements before. And I have learned over the years that really there's no, there's no magic formula, there's no quick fix, you know, if God would just solve all the circumstances, then maybe I could be an overcomer. It doesn't work that way. I've had to learn that, you know what, Lord, I have to come back to these truths I have to come back, back to what I believe, not what I see, not what I feel moment to moment, day to day. What do I believe? 
I believe the gospel. I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. I believe that my sins are forgiven. I believe that he has a plan and a purpose for my life and that he is working all things together for good, even though I don't understand it right now. And I believe that I'm going to be eternally with the Lord. I believe that there are going to be glories to be revealed that our minds haven't even seen yet. And in those truths and and in those things that I can see by faith only, I find that my heart can be strengthened and encouraged, that I can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world and he has made promise to me and he's made that promise to you. And I would encourage you today, maybe you're overwhelmed and maybe you're feeling like something way, way less than an overcomer, not a, not a more than a conqueror, not even a conqueror, just barely a survivor, <laughs> Well, I think the Lord wants to maybe sometime, I I think the Lord stretches us out a little. I think the Lord takes us out into a little time of peril and famine because he wants us to come back to faith. He wants us to come back to being content. We sang it this morning, Jesus, you're enough for me. Really? Is he really enough for you? Because he needs to be. Because you know why? Because he is. If you have Christ, you have life. And if you don't, you don't have life. And you may have a a great set of circumstance, but if you don't have Christ, you still don't have life. Come back to your first love today. Come back to the foundation of truth that you believed the day you got saved. You believed sometime in your heart you knew that Jesus loved you, and that was enough. And it's still enough because His love, His grace is sufficient. I want to pray before we distribute the elements. I want to pray for anyone who just feels their heart needing to respond today. And it may be that you're here today and the first thing you really need to do, you need to be born of God. You want this life. You need this life. You've got to be born into it first. Maybe you're here today. You've never really believed in Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the one who died on the cross for your sins. But today, right now, you know, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need to come. I need to invite him. I need to be born again spiritually of God. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you need to be born again. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord. Maybe your life is just gone prodigal, way off course. You knew the Lord You once embraced the Lord. You do know him possibly, but your life today is distant from him. And you know, you know what? I'm not living the life abundant. I'm living some compromised pretend. I need to come back to Christ and recenter, recommit my heart to him. I'd like to pray for you too. And finally, we'll include all this together. Maybe you're here today and you are just feeling discouraged and overwhelmed, and distant from the Lord for for reasons of trial. Sometimes there's good reasons, you know, sometimes there's no reason. It's just you need to be refreshed and encouraged in the Lord. And I'll say that this is my heart today too, Lord. I just need you to encourage me. I need to come back to these truths 
Forgive me, Lord, for for getting my eyes on circumstance and getting distracted. Lord, I just need to be content in you and I need your help. Lord, discouragement is not a sin in and of itself. It's part of life. But what you do with it, what you do while you're discouraged, how long you let yourself stay in that, that can become sinful. And maybe some of you just need to come back to God and and say, Jesus, you're enough. Thank you. Reset my heart today. I want to walk in the fullness of joy. I want to walk in the overcoming life that you've called me to. And I set my heart to do so. If you will, by grace, just help me. And maybe that's your heart and prayer request today. So I want to pray and we want to partake of communion. If you're part of any of that group that I just described, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and I'll pray for all of us before we take communion. Anybody? Quite a few. Boy, what a mess we are. No. Amen. Anybody else? Just keep your hand up a minute. Keep your hand up. Just like you're reaching out to Lord to the Lord. All right. If you, if you don't mind, lift those of you that have responded, just lift both hands to heaven and let me just pray for you. Father, we look to you. Lord, we invite you to come into our heart afresh and anew. Lord, forgive us. We acknowledge that we need your mercy. Jesus, thank you for what you did at the cross. Thank you for the victory that we have over sin. But Jesus, we need your help and strength to live this life with tribulation. God, help us to be encouraged today. I pray that you would encourage these hearts, that you would meet each heart today with grace, with a refreshing from your spirit. Lord, that their mind would be renewed and recentered today and that Jesus, you would come into greater focus. Our circumstance would diminish and we would see you and your love and your life and your victory and your promise and that it would be all that we need today to be encouraged and strengthened, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.